0: Welcome to Cincinnati Reformed, I'm Pastor Brandon, and today I wanted to reflect on a phenomenon that happened locally in the Cincinnati, northern Kentucky area. Some of you uh, might be aware, if you have a Roman Catholic family member or friends, that the church celebrates Mary's birthday on September the 8th. And on September the 8th of 2023, Father Jeff, who uh, is a priest actually at St. Patrick's Catholic Church in Taylor Mill, Kentucky, he was conducting a private mass at a boy's home for his first communion. And at 6 o'clock on September the 8th, there was, according to these reports, a Eucharistic miracle. The, the wafers of the Lord's Supper were stained with blood. And there, there were pictures being circulated of a bowl of these uh, Eucharistic wafers and, and blood sprinkled on them. And apparently, 150 to 200 people witnessed this miracle happen. Uh, and and these wafers were then sent off to an archbishop to get verified uh, if if this is indeed a true miracle. So today I thought it might be good to give some reflection on this, especially as it happened locally and it's been kind of the talk of the town in certain circles, but as reformed Christians, what in the world are we supposed to think about this? What is our what is our take on the matter? Well, I think it might be helpful to reflect first on Rome's view of the Lord's Supper. Uh, And that will serve, I think, as a helpful backdrop into understanding what's going on here. But according to the Roman Catholic Church, they believe in something called transubstantiation. That was a word first used by Rome in the 12th century at the Fourth Lateran Council in AD 1215. And at that council, the church decreed the body and blood of Christ are truly contained in the sacrament of the altar under the appearance of bread and wine. The bread being transubstantiated into the body and the wine into blood by divine power. So when the priest utters the liturgical words of consecration, a miracle happens. While the bread and the wine might look like bread and wine, they do not remain bread and wine. While our eyes see bread and wine on the table, they are actually the physical flesh, the physical blood of Jesus Christ the roman catholics use a category from greek philosophy especially from aristotle uh, regarding essence and form which is why it can maybe look like its bread and wine but not really be bread and wine the essence is changed but for the roman catholic the eucharist is not not only this kind of the sacrament this this sign but it's a sacrifice the the Sacrifice that the priest effects in the Mass on Sunday is the same that was accomplished on the cross. The Eucharist is not primarily a symbol pointing to the cross, it's identified with the cross. The only difference is that the cross was a bloody sacrifice, while the Eucharist is an unbloody sacrifice. Or I guess, considering this miracle, the Roman Catholics might say it's ordinarily unbloody. So this provides, I think, a helpful backdrop and background to our discussion on this claimed Eucharistic miracle. You know, so beginning with just commonalities as we're kind of reflecting on this as Reformed Christians looking at uh, Roman Roman Catholics and uh, their excitement around this. Um. The Roman Catholics have a high view of the Lord's Supper. Uh, They call the Lord's Supper Eucharist, and that comes from a Greek word used by the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians, meaning thanksgiving, to to give thanks. And so I have no problem with the word Eucharist uh, because it's a biblical word, but so long as we have a biblical definition of it. In the the Reformed tradition, we too have a high view of the Lord's Supper, Uh, although the sacraments in the Reformed Church do not eclipse the Word of God, but rather the sacraments are under the Word, and they're given efficacy by the Word. But historically, the Reformed Church has followed John Calvin's view of the Lord's Supper. Uh, Herman Bovink, in his great uh, work, uh, Reformed dogmatics, he, he explained, he said that uh, for, for Calvin, he said Christ is present in the supper and Christ is received in the supper, not physically and locally, to be sure, but certainly, truly, and essentially with his whole person, including his body and his blood. Bob goes on to explain, he says, But Calvin's main idea that in the Lord's Supper, by the Holy Spirit, believers experience spiritual fellowship with the person of Christ, and hence also with the body and blood of Christ, are thereby nourished and refreshed unto eternal life, has been taken over in the various Reformed confessions and become the common property of Reformed theology. So, in other words, the Reformed have a high view of the Lord's Supper. They, they, they view the Lord's Supper as, uh, as the spiritual presence of Christ. We are spiritually feasting upon Christ. Christ is present. There is a real presence of Christ in the Lord's Supper. But it's not a, it's not a physical one. It's, it's one of, of, of the Spirit, So so as we reflect on some of of these differences between the Reformed Catholic and the Reformed Christian, we might say a a few things. Well, one, again, the Reformed believe in the spiritual presence of Christ in the Lord's Supper. Now, why do we believe this? Well, in John chapters 14 to 16, we see that believers are united to Christ by the Holy Spirit and that the Holy Spirit brings the benefits of Christ to us. So, we're united to Christ, and, and it's a spiritual thing. The Spirit is, is, is giving us all of those benefits of, of Christ. In Ephesians 2.6, Paul tells the church, And Christ raised us up and seated us with Him in the heavenly places. So, we have been raised up with Christ, seated with Christ, in the heavenly, in the heavenly places. That's where we are. And, that's, um, uh, and that is done, enacted by the Holy Spirit. Regarding the Lord's Supper, in 1 Corinthians ten sixteen, it says, "...the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ?" That word participation in Greek is koinonia, has that uh, idea of fellowship, of communion, participation. So as we feast upon the Lord's Supper, there is a real present vertical participation, fellowship, uh, communion, koinonia, with the body and blood of Jesus Christ in heaven. And again, that is a spiritual thing that's happening. So we believe in the spiritual presence of Christ in the, in the Lord's Supper, not the physical presence of Christ in the Lord's Supper. But even saying that, uh, just to kind of go back to what Boving said, uh, it's Christ is truly there. It, it's not like, well, he's not really physically here, so it's somehow weaker. It's like, no, Christ is truly there. He's really there. It's not weaker because it's not physical. Uh, There is the real presence of Christ, and it is a spiritual presence, and we are really feasting upon Him. Uh, So that's one difference between the Roman Catholic and the Reformed Christian. Another difference is that Reformed believe that Christ's physical body is in heaven at the right hand of the Father, and His physical body is not on earth. So John 17.6 says, Nevertheless, I tell you, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So Jesus is talking about he's about to go away. He's going to, to uh, not only be, be resurrected, but he's going to ascend. And he's going to go away after his, his resurrection. He's going to ascend into the, uh, to be with the Father. And he's saying it's actually better that I go because when I go, I I'll send the Spirit and the spirit will take what is mine and give it to you the spirit will um uh convict the world and mature believers and 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 so on and so forth and Christ is going to be with us through word and spirit and that he says is an advantage in acts chapter 1 verses 9 to 11 it says and when he had said these things as they were looking on he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight, and while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold two men stood by them with white robes, and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? And Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Meaning uh the that they were saying that we're going to see Jesus in the future, when He returns, come the same way. He's ascended. That's where His body is now. His body is at the right hand of the Father. His body and His flesh are not on earth. Uh, on earth, we deal with things. We deal with things in terms of the Word and the Spirit of Christ. And in heaven is where the flesh of Christ is. He, he went into that uh, heavenly temple bodily. Uh, after his resurrection and ascension. And so um, I think that one of our differences is, is what do we make of the ascension into heaven? For the Reformed, the ascension means that is where Christ is locally, and we will not see his flesh until his return that's recorded in, in Revelation chapter 19. So that's a second difference between the Reformed and the Roman Catholics. A third difference is that the Re- reform believe that Jesus died once for all. The Lord's Supper is not sacrificing Jesus again. The Lord's Supper is nourishing and strengthening believers with the once-for-all sacrifice on the cross. The cross of Christ, then, is an unrepeatable event. You can't repeat it. It was a once-for-all event. So, we see this, for example, in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 27. Jesus has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for the sins of his people, since Jesus did this once for all when he offered up himself. I don't know how clear it could get. Another verse, Hebrews chapter 9, verses 24 through 28. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly, as the high priest entered the holy place every year with blood not of his own, to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him End quote. So those two texts in Hebrews, I think, are damaging to the Roman Catholic idea of mass being a sacrifice, this unbloody sacrifice, uh, I think it does away with the efficacy of the cross of Christ. So, you know, as we then then begin to kind of think about those events that transpired and uh on uh, so September the 8th and 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 again this is yet to be verified by the higher-ups, you know, uh they the, the Roman Catholic Church uh is going to have to declare whether or not this is a an actual miracle um but uh, it hasn't been been ver- verified yet and, and there was even some suspicious things about the reporting of it. You know, for example, Uh, 200 people saw this at a private Mass for a First Communion in a boy's house. I mean, unless he lives in a palace, I don't know how 200 people are going to witness that. But but even if the Vatican comes back and says, no, this is an authentic uh, miracle, there's a number of natural questions, I think, that arise, especially in kind of our scientific day and age. Uh, Questions like, well, you know, can we match the blood with other verified miracles? There's other miracles that the Vatican has said, yes, this is really a a miracle. Well, can we verify? Can we match the blood samples? Um, Do they all have the exact same DNA? And let's say, for example, that we did have the DNA of Christ. Could we clone Christ? Could we use the DNA of Christ to make, enough, to make Christ? Uh, could we use the DNA of Christ to mix it with a female egg and start a bloodline of Christ? Is that possible in our scientific day and age? So questions do abound. But it I think it makes sense for the Roman Catholic, if you're if you're thinking about it in a Roman Catholic sense, and, and with physical Eucharists and sacrifices being made, every single mass, it makes sense that they would look for things like this and, and get excited about um, you know, these Eucharistic miracles of, of blood and things. But as we reflect on this from a reformed biblical perspective. I think we are reminded that our hope is dictated by the Word of God. The, the Lord's Supper is not at all Christ's physical body and physical blood. You know, We believe in the ascension of Christ. Jesus ascended into heaven. His flesh is not omnipresent. Uh, we will not see His flesh until the second coming we will not taste his flesh we will not uh it's not a physical um a a a physical eating that happens in terms of drinking and eating his physical body and physical blood um and again his flesh is in heaven until the second coming of christ and until then we um are brought to christ by the spirit of christ and we feast upon Christ through word and through sacrament spiritually, not physically. And in the Reformed Church, that's why our Lord's Supper liturgical form uh, has these words. You know, As we're reading the liturgical form on Sunday for the Lord's Supper, we, we, we say this, While remaining bread and wine, These sacred elements, nevertheless, become so united to the reality they signify that we do not doubt but joyfully believe that we receive in this meal by the Spirit through faith nothing less than the crucified body and shed blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. So notice there, we affirm while remaining bread and wine. We, we do not believe that the bread and wine are, are essentially changed. They remain bread and they, and, and, and wine, uh, and that is what they are. But nevertheless, the sacred elements become united to that reality of Christ. They signify Christ. They become united to that reality. And so we joyfully believe that we are receiving by the Spirit, through faith, the crucified body and the shed blood of Christ our Lord Jesus Christ. And in that liturgy, as we're saying it every Sunday, we go on to pray through this sacrament by your own word and spirit. May these common elements now be set apart from ordinary use and consecrated by you so that just as truly as we eat and drink these elements by which our bodily life is sustained, so truly we receive into our souls for our spiritual life. The true body and the true blood of Christ. We receive these gifts by faith, which is the hand and mouth of our souls. Amen. So that prayer that we say with the Lord's Supper every Sunday is affirming that the bread and wine are nourishing our our physical body, and that's what they are. The elements are are bread and wine, and they nourish our body. But we understand that those elements have been uh, so united to the reality that they signify that we also are receiving for our spiritual life into our souls, the true body and true blood of Christ. And it goes on to say, the way in which we receive it is by faith. Faith is the hand and mouth of our soul. How do we feast upon Christ? What is the mouth of our soul? It is our faith. By faith we, gra- we grasp the elements, by faith we partake, by faith our souls feast upon Christ. And so I, that is, I think, a striking difference between uh, the Roman Catholic Church and the Reformed Church. So as, as Reformed Christians, you know, we believe that Jesus' sacrifice 2,000 years ago was sufficient On the cross, Jesus said it is finished. The cross was once for all. The cross is non-repeatable. Jesus took away all of our sins, nailing it to the cross, all of our debt, all of our guilt... Uh, We have been wiped clean, given his righteousness, so that when God looks at us, he looks at us as if we have never sinned a day in our lives, and he looks at us as if we have been as obedient as Christ was obedient for us. So he looks at us both like we've never sinned, and as if we've perfectly kept the law because we have the righteousness of christ clothing us and we receive that righteousness by faith alone and not by works and you know all of that all of that doctrine all of those great truths coming from the bible is coming to bear in our understanding of the eucharist of the lord's supper um, the, these doctrines are very practical. What you do, your, your doctrine of Christ is going to affect your doctrine of the Lord's Supper. It, it really will. All of these doctrines are so interconnected, and I think we're seeing it here. And so I think what we're reminded, that when you deviate from the Bible, your piety, your hope can become skewed. You can begin to look to superstitious events, to bizarre happenings, but friends, let us hope in the Word. Our hope is not in seeing blood appear on a piece of bread, but our hope is in the blood-covered Savior who then rose from the dead three days later and ascended into heaven, who's interceding for us now and will one day come back. We do have fellowship with Christ. We do feast on Christ. We do partake of Christ. But we partake of Christ through Christ's Word and by Christ's Spirit. And we receive this by faith. The only confirmation we need is, is, is not signs of blood on bread. The confirmation we need is the Holy Spirit bearing witness through the Word and in our hearts. So friends, let us go back to the Bible. Let it be kind of reshaped, recalibrated by the Word of God, by the Christ of Scripture. And let us not give in to hoping in events that that, hap, that are um, superstitious, events that are doubtful, um, and events that are just unbiblical. Let us place our faith in the Christ of sacred Scripture. Amen.